Today's podcast is brought to you by the Ashbrook Center. The Ashbrook Center is an independent center at Ashland University that teaches students, teachers, and citizens what it means to be an American. Ashbrook's new book, 50 Core American Documents, tells America's story from the founding through the 20th century using original historical documents. Get your copy of Ashbrook's 50 Core American Documents today in the iTunes store or at 50docs.org. That's 50docs.org. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Joining us from Jerusalem is Bill Crystal. Bill, how are things in Israel? Uh, well, it's been a great visit so far. I, I um, met a seminar over here with some really terrific uh, uh, students, and not really students, a lot of them are kind of adults, so with the uh, colleagues, uh, thought-provoking about American politics, but also American political philosophy and Zionism, sort of comparing uh, America, you know, Lincoln, Declaration of Independence, Lincoln, and so forth with the Israeli Declaration of Independence and Ben-Gurion and Jabotinsky. So it's really been, I've learned a lot. It's been fascinating, a lot of interesting people. And I've had some time to begin meeting with some uh, political types. I'm going to do that a little more over the next over the next few days. But the country is, seems to be doing fine, and uh, uh, there's an election campaign going on. So, and, of course, maybe you're aware of the world around here is a little bit problematic. So <laughs> it's been a lot to talk about, that's for sure. I assume the first topic of conversation when people see you is the Royals' visit to America and what it was like for Beyonce and Jay Z to meet uh, the British Royals. Yes? No? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's funny how you can go to you go abroad and some, suddenly the things that people are preoccupied by at home seem a little ridiculous, and of course, and of course, vice versa. The first topic of conversation about America actually is the CIA report. It's interesting that that is international news and. Um, I'd say especially for people who are up center, center right, and certainly people in government, people who really are, you know, have foreign and defense policy and intelligence responsibilities, uh, they're just amazed by it. I mean, it, it, they just can't quite understand what, um, why the whole country is consumed with this backward-looking report about things that happened a decade ago. You know, Israel is also a very legalistic country, and it's full of critics and intellectual circles are even more critical, I suppose, than there's in Yahoo government, that's possible, than left-wing circles in America, Ralph like Bush, think of it that way, that, you know, liberal circles were critical of Bush. So it's not that they're against, uh, uh, they're not used to, uh, it's not that they're not used to having this kind of criticism and look back, but they tend to look back in the next few months after a war, they criticize some things that were done, they might even hold some people accountable, and then they kind of deal with the real world that they're, uh, the real world challenges that they're facing. And this obsession about what happened 10 years ago and, and the claims by people who seem to have known and been briefed on what was happening and approved of it, basically, and maybe one or two people went overboard, but basically people who were briefed on what was happening and approved of it, now suddenly, you know, casting stones and then having the CIA director have a speech in which, or uh, I guess it was CIA director, wasn't it, have a speech in which he had to defend the CIA, sort of, but then President Obama doesn't say anything one way or the other. So he really, it doesn't look good for the U.S. And there is this glaring question raised if the uh, Democrats in the Senate truly believe that these individual members of the CIA broke the law, if they truly believe that the President of the United States and the Vice President of the United States and the head of the Department of Justice countenance torture, then why aren't they leading the charge to have them prosecuted? Why aren't they leading the charge to have them sent to the Hague to face international justice? If they really believe what they're saying, that this is a, quote, stain on our honor, a, quote, stain on our national history, those are quotes from McCain and and uh, Feinstein, then why aren't they acting on that, Bill? Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. They can, if they, they would like, would they like the Justice Department to do that? Are they writing letters? I think your question is a good one to the Justice Department. So 
bringing people need to be prosecuted. And look, whether individual abuses probably, but some of them have been handled within the system. Others, you know, may just never get handled. And that's what happens when you're fighting a very complex operation. It happens in, in, in civilian life too, right? Not every not everyone who does something wrong goes to jail. Some stuff just mm-hmm. happens and one moves on. But again, at the end of the day, I mean, what we're talking about here is some abuse perhaps, uh, no killing of people, really. And by, you know, by normal standards of the way countries behave after being attacked and when there are ongoing threats, serious, real threats, the U.S. behaved well, not badly. And for all these senators and congressmen to posture and clean, uh, it really is unseemly. I gotta say, who would have thought, right? The Obama administration is behaving more responsibly. And Democrats on the Hill. That is amazing, and and of course the the lack of desire from anyone to actually do anything about this shows that this is all posturing, one hundred percent. It's the it's the luxury of posturing you can do, Bill, after someone else has already done the hard work of getting the information, stopping the terrorist uh, plots, uh, un you know winding the terrorist networks, you know setting the terrorists back a decade. We've got that luxury now to be critical. I think the toughest question that the White House has faced. And it's come up several times is if you're offended by this treatment, you know, uh, waterboarding people, leaving them in the dark for extended period of time. How do you defend sending Hellfire missiles from drones into weddings and picnics where, you know, they're going to be ancillary uh, civilian casualties? Right. And you don't get the kind of information you get when you do capture people. No, we had no extension interrogation policies. Steve Hayes and Tom Johnson make that point in this week's editorial in the magazine. And uh, that's bad, actually. And so they're so, the Obama administration was so skittish of being criticized of any way they did interrogation or, de- or detention that now we're not doing any, basically, which isn't good. But I, the proof that it's posturing also, um, I, I mean, I totally agree that it's, it is really posturing. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't do some damage, right? I mean, right. the people going to feel they want to go into the agency now if something they do that is absolutely authorized at the time. Uh, supported on a bipartisan basis, they're going to be sort of held up as objects of moral uh, disdain 10 years later, maybe not by individual name, but of course, you know, they're, they're part of that organization. One thing that distresses me from afar, maybe I've missed some of this, but uh, where are the Republican senators and congressmen defending, and presidential candidates defending the honor of the CIA? We have an awful lot to be proud of in the way they behave over the last 10 years, the way, of course, our militaries behave too post-9-11, and it seems to me there'd be a pretty big political market, just to speak politically, leaving aside the merits, for someone who stands up and says, look, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I don't have access to every single thing that happened in every single uh, little town in Iraq or in every detention center in other countries, but in general, can we be proud of what our uh, men and women in the military and in the intelligence agencies have done? You bet, and really go on about that. Um, and I, I, they seem a little intimidated to me to, to, to really defend the CIA, which I think is a mistake, both in terms of actually making sure that we do support these people who are on the front lines for us, and also I just think doesn't no one's speaking for what probably is the majority of the American people at this point. It's definitely a majority of the American people, and the polling has been consistent on that. And I'm, I would, if, if I were a Republican office holder, and I was asked about this, I would say I'm telling you on the record right now. That if we had the next Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and we knew he had information about a plot for mass killings in America, I would absolutely waterboard him and I wouldn't think twice about it if that were necessary to get the information. I'm sure President Obama agrees. And then <laughs> leave, no, totally leave it there. You. This is right. This is why you and I are in such demand as political consultants. Like, <laughs> we give all this, we, we give, but I totally agree on this. And it's not the thing I would say. And you know what? 
if someone like Michael Hayden, who served as director of the CIA and the director of national intelligence, were willing to come back into government, if other people who worked in the agency and in the Justice Department at the time were willing to come back in, maybe not in every single case, but in the great majority of cases, I'd be happy to have them come back and serve the country. They did a heck of a job, and instead of being derided and sort of having their whole tenure be viewed as a stain on the honor of the United States, I, mean, I think how disgraceful that is, really. Uh, I, I respect what they did. So, no, I think there's, there's I, I wish some people would step up. Maybe this weekend on the Sunday shows, I'll be over here, so I won't watch them. But um, uh, maybe someone will step up in that way. Now let's move to the other fight that is only slightly less heated than al-Qaeda versus the West, and that is um, Nancy Pelosi and Elizabeth Warren versus the White House last night fighting over the budget. And some people speculating that Liz Warren's attack on the budget that President Obama wanted is the first salvo in her campaign to become the Democratic nominee. You know, it could be. For someone who's allegedly not running for president, she's sure causing a lot of trouble. And she seems to have learned a lot from Ted Cruz, which is that a lot of people can tell you, oh, don't get involved. It's very dangerous to fight the, you know, your, uh, the majority of your own party, the leadership of your own party. But if you're fighting, in, as is the case with I think it's the case for Elizabeth Warren, on sort of a, a popular front for her for supporters, for Democrats. It's not a bad way to elevate your profile. And to, them, you know, to be fair to her, I mean, they, they, Democrats did make compromises that a lot of them don't like. So I think she's shown pretty good political instincts, pretty good, uh, pretty, pretty gutsy political instincts in a way. It's probably easier just to walk away and take a pass on this. And do you go to all this trouble just to make a point as a senator, just to lay the groundwork for get you a little more credibility and a little more support to make points in the future as a senator? Maybe, maybe, but it strikes me as with Ted Cruz that if you go to all this trouble, take all this heat, take pick a fight with a leader or one of the leaders, some of the leaders of your own party, you might be thinking about running for president. I'm sorry, Bill, but I remember when I'm so old, I remember when opposing a budget President Obama wanted meant you were an extremist hater. So I'm totally confused by what Elizabeth Warren and Nancy Pelosi are doing. And risking now, a government and risking a government shutdown exa- which oh, is the end of your political career. And would destroy the Republican Party in the next election. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do remember that. It's terrible and awful, so I don't understand. What I do it's gonna be interesting to me is watching Josh Ernest trying to convince Democrats to vote for the John Boehner budget. My question is, how much Obama-Boehner love are we going to see in the next 24 months as the left side of the Democratic Party dumps the White House and tries to make their own way? Well, I don't know. I get the idea of that gets me nervous. So, you know, that could lead, I think, the Republicans into a pretty bad place. Their main job is still to resist President Obama, <laughs> obviously to work for them where necessary and where appropriate. But I, I do hope they remember that their job here is to begin turning the ship of state around, not to just uh, slow President Obama down. But it is uh, uh, interesting. The president who, uh, when he was elected, I was told at the radio station I worked at, don't criticize President Obama. Nobody wants to hear any criticism of President Obama. Now can't find a friend anywhere. Obviously, the Republicans aren't his friends. And it doesn't appear that he has any friends among the Democrats. The Democrats only passed this bill because they realized that if they didn't, they would get stuck with a worse situation after a 60-day continuing resolution because all these same things would be voted on by a majority Republican-controlled Senate. And that's another thing, Bill, too, is how dumb is it from a strategy point for Nancy Pelosi to try to kill this bill? I mean, she's making the kind of bonehead moves that you're used to seeing, you know, Tea Partiers accused of making. Yeah, well, maybe that should cheer us up. I guess you don't really believe. <laughs> she'd prefer to be in opposition from the left. The trouble is that 
which would make sense in a way if there were a Republican presidential, but they have a Democratic president for the next two years. So she is cross-pressuring Democrats, and I do think um, making it, she is the one who's posturing in this case, probably rather than thinking seriously about the about the policy consequences. But I, I read over here online that um, uh, President Obama isn't worrying too much about Nancy Pelosi or John Boehner, but apparently what he does every morning is watch ESPN, which is actually, in a way, I suppose, a sign of mental health, you might say, that he's not sure. obsessed with all this back and forth, and he's watching what most sane Americans watch, which is highlights of, you know, the college basketball games, the pro games, the football games, and everything. I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't mind him doing it, but really, should he be saying that he's doing it? I think if you're sitting here in Israel, and, you know, it's like, really, the President of the United States, with everything that's going on, ISIS and Iran, and God knows what, he's sort of cheerfully telling people that watching ESPN is the main thing he does each morning, and that's a little odd. A, a little odd, but uh, it's been a strange year, and I look forward to our end-of-year podcast uh, coming up here soon, Bill, because there's going to be plenty for us to talk about. Enjoy yourself in uh, Israel, and uh, happy Hanukkah. Thanks, and happy Hanukkah to you, and I'm looking forward to our end-of-year podcast where we can go over in detail the Harvard football team's undefeated <laughs> season and other, other key other key aspects of 2014 that's right every morning bill crystal and barack obama watching espn for their latest sports teams <laughs> you've been listening to the weekly standard podcast please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates i'm your host michael graham